0: listening to audio from City Light South Church. If you'd like to check out more resources and find ways to get involved, go to citylightsouth.org.au. We are back in Genesis today, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 25. That is where we left off uh, last year. So we haven't been in Genesis since 2021. Um, We're going to be in Genesis again for the next 10 weeks, uh, and then we'll take a a break um, in about August, September, and then we'll finish up with the story of Joseph in October. Um, But I'm excited to preach through the rest of the book to get through what is the foundation of not only the first book of the Bible, but just the foundation of so much that we um, take for granted as truth um, in the New Testament helps us understand the gospel and the story of redemption. So if you have your Bible, open up to chapter 25. I'm going to start in verse 12. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. These are the family records of Abraham's son, Ishmael, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's slave, bore to Abraham. These are the names of Ishmael's sons. Their names, according to the family records, are Nebaioth, Ishmael's firstborn, then Kedar, Ab- Adbeel. Uh, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hadad, Tima, Jeter, uh, Naphish, and Kadema. These are Ishmael's sons. And these are their names by their settlements and encampments, 12 leaders of their clans. This is the length of Ishmael's life, 137 years. He took his last breath and died and was gathered to his people. And they settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt as you go toward Asher. He stayed near all his relatives. These are the family records of Isaac, son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took his wife, Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord was receptive to his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. But the children inside her struggled with each other, and she said, "'Why is this happening to me?' So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, "'Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated.' One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When her time came to give birth, there were indeed twins in her womb. The first one came out red-looking, covered with hair, like a fur coat, and they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, grasping Esau's heel with his hand. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. When the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter an outdoorsman, but Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field, exhausted. He said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. That's why he was also named Edom. And Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, said Esau, I'm about to die. So what good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob and sold his birthright to him. Then Jacob gave bread and lentil stew to Esau. He ate, drank, got up, and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. i want to pray, and then we'll jump into this story for this morning. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for waking us up out of bed and giving us your new mercies today. Lord, thank you for your word that doesn't change, that doesn't fail. And I pray that you would help us to Understand what your word has to say to us this morning. Help me to speak clearly and help us to listen um, to what your spirit is saying. Lord, we want to be changed. We want to be like Jesus. We want to love you with our whole hearts. So help us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, we're calling these 10 weeks in Genesis back to the beginning. Um, Not the very, very beginning because we did Genesis 1 to 25 last year. Um, and if you missed it, you can always rewind and have a listen to the podcast, to any of those. Um, today, we're starting back in chapter 25, um, and we're starting with, uh, in verse 12, with a line of a guy called Ishmael. Now, if you remember who Ishmael is, um, he was the firstborn son of Abraham. He wasn't born to Abraham's wife, Sarah, but he was born to his servant, a woman called Hagar, who was Egyptian. And we see that again. Um, but before Ishmael was ever born, you have to remember how Abram first comes on the scene, all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. This is when God shows up in Abram's life and says these words. And this is going to really be important for where we're going to go today. So listen to this. Chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, says, God says, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So here's, here's the promise that God made to Abraham. It's for land. He said, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you a bunch of kids, and I'm going to give you a great name or honor. And he says that everybody, everybody on earth is actually going to get in on this blessing action that he's promising to Abraham, including you, including me. All peoples on earth will be blessed through Abraham. And the rest of the book of Genesis is, like in all the stories and all the narratives and all the genealogies, all of it is helping us understand exactly how that comes to be. How is it that... The blessing of Abraham ripples down, not just to Abraham's physical descendants, but to everybody. How is that going to happen? I want to tell you up front up front, that the blessing of Abraham is, is the blessing of being joined by faith to Abraham's son, Jesus. Now, you may wonder how I get there, and I'll explain in a moment. Jesus is the co-heir of all things. We read that in the New Testament, and we are, by being joined to him, a co-heir with Christ. So that's kind of a spoiler. That's where we're going. Um, I want to show you that, though, in the text. The blessing of Abraham for all nations is the blessing of being joined to Jesus. The second thing I want you to see from this text is that God's blessing to Abraham and God's blessing to you has no prerequisites. You don't have to go through a credit check or anything like that. There's nothing that you have to do. And then finally, God's blessing has the power to sustain you. No matter what you're going through, no matter where you've come from, God's blessing has the power to sustain you absolutely when when nothing else can. These are big claims, but I want you to see from the text that these claims are true. So we'll start with the first one. The blessing for all nations is the blessing of being joined to Jesus. So we start in verse 12. Of chapter 25. And these are the family records of Abraham's firstborn son, Ishmael. You might remember that little phrase, the family records of, is kind of like a chapter heading in Genesis. You see it pop up several times, and you know that it's gone to a new section. Well, this chapter, Ishmael's chapter, if you like, is only seven verses long. It's very short, and it's just mainly a genealogy. You think, well, this is a part when we're reading through, we tend to skip over. But I want to kind of help you understand just a few um, really important things here, because it teaches something. It teaches us a couple of things. One thing it teaches is that God is gracious and faithful to absolutely everyone, even those who are outside of his covenant blessing. God's faithful to absolutely everybody. And you're thinking, how do you get that from a genealogy of random names? Well, let me, let me explain. I want you to see what these names represent. Like so many of the names we see in Genesis in these name lists, each of these names represent individuals. They're actual people who lived. And they represent nations. Because each of these individuals, who are, each of these men, had children, and they became their own tribe, or they became their own nation. And these names show up, many of them show up, in other parts of the Bible. It's definitely the case here in Genesis 25. Um, If you scan back up to the beginning of chapter 25, there's another name list. There's Abraham, after his wife Sarah died, he remarried, uh, a lady called Keturah and had kids with her. And he was already like well over 100 years old. So I don't know how this thing, but it was. And he gives all these lists of names. And if you, if you know a little bit about the Old Testament, you may recognize some of those names. They may sound a bit familiar. There's, a, um, there's a, a child called Midian and a child called Sheba. And these are names that God's people would hear and they're assumed, these are God's enemies. If you know the story of Gideon at all, you know if you ever watched, grew up watching VeggieTales, you know fighting the Midianites. Midianites were God's were were the enemies of God's people, and yet the, here's their, this is their lineage. They actually descended from Abraham. Sheba, if you know the story of Solomon, the queen of Sheba comes to check out uh, Solomon's kingdom to see if she's going to attack it or is going to make an alliance with him. Again, names of the people outside the people of God. Now, Ishmael has two boys. His oldest two boys are called Nabiath and Kadar. Now, even if you're a Bible scholar, you may think, mm, I've never heard those names before. That's okay. I had neither. Um, but was doing some study on this is um, realize that these names show up again in Scripture. I'm not going to ask you where because I, I had no idea. Maybe if you, if you know, then I'm, if I'm very impressed. Um, so they show up, and I'll, I'll get there in a second. Um, in the case of Ishmael, one thing you need to remember here is you need to go back to his sort of orig- origin story when Ishmael was a little boy. Uh, he was born, and he started to grow up, and at that point, Sarah, Abraham's wife at the time, started getting very upset. She started getting very jealous of the fact that she could not have kids, and Abraham, her husband, had just had a, a boy, a son, by the the servant, uh, Hagar, and so she eventually she gets angry, and she... She starts being very abusive uh, to Hagar, and eventually they run away. She takes him and runs away, and they're out in the desert, and they're going to run out of water, and she's like, we're just going to die. And God's angel shows up to her and makes a promise to Hagar, an Egyptian. Okay, he says this, the angel says, I will greatly multiply your offspring, and they will be too many to count. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds like the same promise that was made to Abraham he's now making to this outsider, an Egyptian, the same people that will eventually enslave God's people, God's enemies. And he's extending his grace, his blessing to them as well because God is gracious and faithful. That's who he is. And I said that's the first reason, that's the first thing we can sort of pick up on in this little section, is that God is gracious and faithful to everybody. The second thing we can pick up on is has to do with where these names show up later in the Bible. I said that Ishmael's two oldest sons show up later. Um, if you look at verse 18, Ishmael's crew, his tribe, eventually settles down, it says, between Havilah and Shur, which and those lands are kind of in the Arabian desert between Egypt to the west and Assyria to the northeast. It's modern-day Saudi Arabia, if you're into geography. That's where Ishmael's kids settle. Ishmael's sons and daughters go on to become what we call today um, the Bedouins and Arabs. They trace their ancestry to Ishmael. Um, One of Ishmael's most famous descendants is a man called Muhammad who founded the religion of Islam. Um, And it is the second largest monotheistic religion. It's an Abrahamic religion um, in the world. There are today 1.9 billion followers of Islam in the world. That's one out of every four people alive. Trace their, in some cases, physical or at least their spiritual roots to Ishmael. These seven verses are their origin story. Now, there's lots of headlines, I'm sure you've seen them, that talk about the conflict between the Abrahamic religion, between Judaism, Christianity, Islam. So what does the Bible have to say about it all? Well, I told you these two of these boys, two of Ishmael's boys, show up later in the Bible. If you have a Bible, I don't have this on the screen, but you open up to the book of Isaiah. Book of Isaiah, chapter 60. And I want to show you this, because this is a prophecy. Isaiah is a prophecy, and it's a prophecy that has partly been fulfilled, but not completely. Partly, but not completely fulfilled. This is Isaiah chapter 60, and I'm going to read part of verse 3. I'm going to jump down and then read verses 5 to 7. Now, the context here of Isaiah is God's people are going to be disciplined. They're going to be sent off into exile for their sin, for their idolatry. Where are they going to be sent? To Assyria. And God is going to promise them that when they're there in exile, in, either in Assyria or later on in Babylon, he's going to make a promise to them. And he says this. He said, there's coming day when you are going to be restored back to Jerusalem. You're going to go back to your own land, the land that I promised to Abraham. And then he says this, verse 3. Nations will come to your light, kings to your shining brightness. The wealth of nations will come to you. Caravans of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah, that's two of Keturah's kids, all of them will come from Sheba. Again, they will carry, listen to this, they will carry gold and frankincense and proclaim the praises of the Lord. All of the flocks of, here's Ishmael's son, Kedar, will be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth will serve you and go up on my altar as an acceptable sacrifice. I will glorify my beautiful house. Now, what is happening here? The nations that descended from Keturah and the nations that descended from Ishmael, are they're all living out to the east of Israel. They're all the enemies of God's people. And Isaiah looks into the future and he sees a day when this light shining from Jerusalem, shining from Israel is so bright that these pagan kings in these enemy lands are going to load up their four-wheel drives. They're going to load up their caravans full and camels, and they are going to make the long trip across the desert back to Jerusalem. And what are they going to bring? They're going to bring gifts. They're going to bring gifts to give to, to bring to the light, gifts of gold and frankincense. Does that sound familiar to any of you? You know the story of Christmas. We talk about the story of the wise men. Where did they come from? They came from the east. What did they come bringing? Gold frankincense, and myrrh. Why did they make the journey? Because they saw a light in the sky, a light that was shining to signify the birth of the light of the world, Jesus. That is why it's important to to read these names, because the blessing that God gave to Abraham All the way back at the very beginning, he says, all nations on earth will be blessed for you. This is how it's being fulfilled. It's being fulfilled when the light of Jesus is lifted up, when the light of Jesus shines from his people, and all people are drawn to him as he is being lifted up. And as people are joined to Jesus by faith and repentance, they are included in the blessing of Abraham. See, the blessing of God, the blessing of Abraham is the blessing of being joined to Jesus in one worldwide family. All nations, God said to Abraham, will be blessed through you. Even the ones that are right now are enemies, the ones attacking you. Them, the outsiders, whoever there, they will be blessed through Jesus. They'll be brought into the house and be given a seat at the table with the king. This blessing for all nations, for Isaac's kids, as well as Ishmael's, for your kids and mine, it's not the blessing of a warm bed and a big, fat superannuation. Those things are nice, but they're not necessary. The only blessing that's necessary is the only one that will last forever, and that is the privilege of coming to worship the light of Jesus, being joined to him and given a seat of honor at his table. That is the offer of the gospel to you and to me and everyone who is far off. So I wonder, what is the blessing that you are chasing? Is it that? Is it the blessing of Jesus, of being seated with honor with him? Is that the blessing you're chasing for your kids? Is that the blessing you're chasing for your neighbors? The blessing of God is the blessing of being joined to Jesus. Now, I want to say... The second thing, the sort of the second point that I'm wanting to drive home to us today, and that's this, that the blessing of God, the blessing of being joined to Jesus, has no prerequisites. Has no prerequisites. I mean, you can probably already deduce that from the fact that you don't have to be, you don't have to actually be ethnically related to Abraham to get in on this blessing. It's a blessing for all nations. For you and me and every community, every nation in the world. It's why we're so passionate about making disciples and and planning churches here in Onkapringa and beyond to the ends of the earth. Because without doing that, there is no way that people will know what the blessing is. There's no lasting blessing without the hope of the gospel. It's absolutely essential for peace with God. It's essential for hope and a future. And there's absolutely nothing that you have to do to prove that you're worthy of it. Nothing. Nothing. Um, some of you might know, well, no, probably most of you know, that I am not a citizen of Australia. Not a citizen, uh, which means I don't have to vote. Don't be too, too jealous of that. Um, it also means, though, that if I was to be convicted of a serious crime, uh, I could be deported. Um, in order to become a citizen of Australia, I would have to prove, among other things, that I have not committed crimes here or in any other country, which is actually harder than you might think, um, especially when you spend seven years in a country as a missionary that doesn't like missionaries. Anyway, when it comes to being a citizen of heaven, however, um, I don't have to prove a thing, and neither do you. There's no litmus test. Because if you did, if I did, we'd never make it, right? That is the most important point of verses 19 to 26, and so I want, I want to unpack this here. So we see here Isaac, Abraham's son, he was 40 when he got married, when, he, when Rebecca walked down the aisle. And like with his parents, uh, they find themselves in a season of infertility, of barrenness. But unlike his parents, they don't try to instantly scheme and plot. Uh, they don't involve a surrogate. They instead, they pray uh, to the Lord. And it says the Lord answers their prayers. Now, you need to be a careful reader and jump all the way to verse 26 because you might miss this. It sounds like a little bit how it's written that they got married, and then the next day they prayed, and then the next day she was pregnant. But if you go down to verse 26 and see when it was, how old Isaac was when the boys were born, he was 60. So from the time they got married and couldn't have kids to when they actually did have kids, 20 years. Twenty long years. And that's not even the main point here. But, you know, remember Abraham and Sarah, they waited for 25. These guys, 20. It's almost like instant gratification isn't supposed to be a thing. And we'll we'll come back to that in a moment with Esau. Just because God answered their prayer does not mean then that everything's going to be easy for them from then on. Rebecca's pregnancy was very tough. Um, and she did the same thing that her, she, that her husband did when she f- was finding difficulty. She prays. And God, the, you know, the ultrasound tech comes and answers. He says, you got twins. you got twin boys. And each one of those boys is going to father a nation. But only one of them will get the blessing of Abraham. The firstborn, called Esau, comes out covered, it says, with red hair. It's like a fur coat. He's wearing a little baby Chewbacca suit. Um, The second born, Jacob, comes out grabbing his brother's heel, it says. And uh, he gets the name Jacob, which means heel grabber. That's what his name meant. They used to name kids, like, didn't really pick out the name, you know, months before baby was born. It was like, you know, when the baby comes out, you know, however they were feeling at the time, that's the name they got. Um, The most important words in this section are in verse 23. One of the two nations, Jacob and Esau, it says, God tells mom, one of them will be stronger than the other. And you're meant to think it's going to be the firstborn. Because it's usually it's always the firstborn that's stronger. It's always the firstborn that gets the double portion of the inheritance. They're sort of the leader of the family. But God says, no, actually, in this case, the older one, the firstborn, is going to serve the younger one. The younger one is going to be more powerful. The younger one is going to have the privilege, have the blessing. So why is God so confident that Jacob's descendants will end up being stronger than Esau? How does God know this? Well, the simple answer is God decided that this was going to be the case. This was God's decision. It wasn't God looking into a crystal ball. This was God saying, this is how it's going to be. When God said, let there be light, there was light. And when God said, the older will serve the younger, that's what happened, because God said it. The the, the book of Romans, Romans chapter 9, one of the most, I don't want to say controversial because it's the Bible, but one of the most notoriously difficult to interpret passages in all of the New Testament, Romans chapter 9, references this very episode. These words show up again, Romans 9 verse 12, Paul quotes Genesis verse 12 or 25, 23, to argue that whenever God saves a person, whenever God saves a person, he does it for his own reasons. He doesn't do it as a payback for something that a human being has done. Oh, you were really nice. You were, you were a good kid, you know, so therefore I'm going to save you. He doesn't do it because he looks, in, again, into a crystal ball and says, oh, you're going to be a real faithful person uh, Uh, loyal, uh, humble servant when you're an adult. So I'm going to, I'll just preemptively save you. No, he just does it because he does it. God chooses Jacob over Esau to receive the blessing. So maybe it's better than trying to sort of unpack why and to try to peer into the mind of God and figure out why. Maybe it's better to step back and ask ourselves, well, why why did he choose us to be included in his family? Why did he choose us to be born in a place where we knew and and heard the gospel either from our parents or a pastor or from a church? Why? Because you could have been born somewhere else. You could have been born to a different family and yet here you are sitting in a a Christian church. You know the gospel. And and, and at some point it it dawns on all of us that nobody deserves this. There's nothing you did in a previous life that God said, okay, I'm going to reward you by giving you Christian parents. We don't, we don't really know, here, but here we are. It's, it's God's grace to us. When God wants to bless a person, when God chooses to bless a person, it, it's not based on anything that that person has done or not done. And, and, and also, on the flip side, there's nothing that you or I can do to get in the way, to stop it. You're going to see this with Jacob. We're going to talk about him for the next few weeks, and you're going to see he is not a nice guy. There's nothing you're going to look at Jacob and go, man, yeah, he really deserved the blessing. He absolutely does not. He's a schemer, a plotter, dishonest. He's not a person that you would hire if you checked his references. And yet here, God says, I'm going to bless you. Why, why is it, if you think about it for a minute, when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus always seems to be hanging out with people who are a little bit dodgy. Um, in, in one sense, we like to, you know, we, we look at those people as a, as a foil or a contrast to the stuck-up Pharisees. You know, well, he hangs out with the average guys, the people that are like the salt of the earth, not the people that thought that they were so good. And in one sense, that's true. But, but you also have to remember that he hangs out with the people that he hangs out with to make a point to them and to us that you don't have to qualify, you don't have to pre-qualify for Jesus to come to you and call you into his family. He comes to who he comes to. You know, you and I, we woke up this morning, we could have been anywhere, but instead you, here you are listening to the gospel of grace with other men and women who know how much they need grace, there's plenty, there's a pretty good chance that even if, if you're listening to this right now, that even if you think that you're still running from him, even if, you, even if you don't know you are running from him, but you actually are, there's a good chance that he is going to catch up to you because he loves you. And, and, that, and that's what grace is. Grace is not him looking at your credit score and going, okay, that'll do. Grace is him pursuing you and pursuing you and pursuing you and pursuing you, and pursuing you until you relent and believe that he really does love you, that his grace is enough. You, you, you can stop running today at any moment and receive what he gives. The blessing of God has no prerequisites. The last thing I want to say about the blessing is the blessing of being joined to Jesus. The blessing of God has the power to sustain you, no matter what. That blessing, is um, it's, it's God's business of joining people who need him to him. And so the la- that's the last thing I want to show you, that he can sustain you, not only today, but for the rest of your life and beyond. Um, maybe you've heard this story of Esau before, but I'll kind of try to summarize it for you the best I can. Esau, it says, was the man of the outdoors. He was a hunter who liked his meat. Um, Jacob was, quote, quiet. Um, he was more of a city guy. A guy maybe he, in, like, he liked his fancy coffee and his avo on toast. Isaac loved Esau. Esau was the man's man, and Rebekah loved Jacob, the mama's boy. Uh, just a bit of an aside here. If um, you ever run across any folks who tell you that to be a Christian man, that you ought to be, like, you know, have a big beard and like to eat meat, and I think you're going to have an issue here with Genesis 25. Because the guys that fit that bill in the Bible are guys like Esau and Samson, and they're not really people that you ought to be imitating. Their lives are train wrecks. Being a a man or a woman in the Bible is not about conforming to some cultural stereotype or ideal. It's just not. It's about conforming to Jesus, period. In this story, neither Esau nor Jacob fit the bill of conforming to Jesus. Neither one of them are exemplary. But God chooses Jacob anyway, despite the fact that he's a, a plotter and a schemer. Um... So let's look at what he does to his brother. Esau comes in from his big hunting trip, and he is exhausted. He, they use that word twice, exhausted. He's on the verge of fainting. And it's not he's not exaggerating. He's not being dramatic. He, he really is. He's probably barely eaten for a couple of days. Um, and so he manages to growl to his brother, give me some of that red stuff. The original is probably a little bit ruder than stuff, but there we are. Um, The guy talks like he looks. He's a rugged dude. He's covered with dirt. He gets the nickname Edom um, from having red hair and also from this little episode of The Red Stuff. Um, It's kind of like the original Ranga. Jacob is a schemer here, and he says, you can have it if you sell me your birthright. This was Esau's right as the firstborn to a double portion of the family inheritance. It also meant that he had the responsibility to protect his family and care for his parents in their old age. But right in this moment, Esau is not focused on the privileges of the birthright. He's not focused on the duties and responsibilities of the birthright. He's only focused on the fact that he is starving. He's not thinking about the future. He says, what the heck do I care about my inheritance when I'm starving right now? And in verse 33, he swears. He swears an oath which seals the deal. Jacob gives him the food. Esau takes it and and left. Um, He despised his birthright meaning he rejected it. So why did Jacob want this in the first place? What was in it for him? Was he just greedy for the inheritance? Maybe. But if you think about it, from the time that Jacob was a little boy, if you do the math, his grandpa, Abraham, died when they were, the boys were 15 years old. So he had plenty of memories of his grandpa. And his grandpa, don't you think, would have told the stories of God's blessing. The stories of God just showing up out of nowhere, out of the blue, and saying, leave your land and go to the place I will show you, and I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. Don't you think Abraham would have told Jacob and Esau those stories? Don't you think he would have told him the time about when he took his dad, Isaac, up the mountain and said, offer him as a sacrifice? And then at just the right moment, God provides a ram as a substitute for the sacrifice. He told him that God was faithful, that he'd always been faithful, that he had never failed, not even once. Jacob had grown up hearing those stories again and again and again. And so Jacob knew that the blessing was valuable. He knew that God was faithful. He didn't always believe it, but he knew it. See, eventually, Jacob is going to go from a man who just simply wants the blessing and grabs for it. To a man, who's going to have a face-to-face encounter with God. He's going to wrestle. He's going to struggle with God. His immature faith in that moment is going to become sight. But for right now, he's grabbing. As for his brother Esau, the writer of Hebrews has this to say about him. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16 to 17. He says, It makes sure there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. For you know that later, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought it with tears, because he did not find any opportunity for repentance. Makes you wonder, do you think he's being a little hard on Esau right here? I mean, Esau was hungry. But the writer says he wasn't just hungry, he was immoral. He was irreverent to sell his birthright for food. He rejected the very thing that had sustained his grandfather Abraham for 25 years of waiting on God. The thing that sustained his father and his mom and dad for 20 years of waiting on God. He rejected his responsibility to look after his parents in their old age and to continue the line. And you might think, wow, I I guess that's that's pretty intense. I can't believe he did that. But I wonder how many of us have, in a moment of passion, in a moment of weakness, in a moment of desire, have done things that we later come to regret, that we did something because we were hungry and had low blood sugar, or we were tired, or we were anxious, or we were lonely, or we had too much to drink, or or whatever it is, but in that moment have done something that we then spend the next long time trying to undo. Esau is actually quite like us, and we are quite like him. Whenever we lose sight and forget of how much God sustains us through intense hunger, intense need, more than anything, more than food, more than any other kind of escape, more than praise and affirmation from people, Jesus sustains everything, he says, through his powerful word. Everyone in Christ is sustained by Christ. You could wait for 20 years, 25 years of whatever it is you're waiting for. And he can sustain you, he can carry you, he can give you joy and satisfy you through the waiting. The blessing of being joined to Jesus is a blessing that will sustain you until the day you see him. So the blessing of God is the blessing of being joined to Jesus. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they didn't know Jesus' name. But they learned through failures, through waiting, through day after day of God's faithfulness, that the inheritance was coming. Jesus was and is their inheritance, and he is ours. He's yours and mine. For anyone who believes in him, it's your birthright, the birthright of every Christian is to share in the inheritance of the Son of God. Listen to Paul in Romans 8. He says this. He says, The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are what? We are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if, if we indeed suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. See, that's what Esau didn't want to do. He didn't want to suffer in that moment. He he chose temporary comfort, temporary gratification instead of long-term gain. Your birthright is the inheritance of Jesus. To share in the inheritance of the firstborn, and you don't have to work for it. Remember, there's there's, there's no prerequisite. You don't have to scheme and plot like Jacob did. You do have to be willing to take up your cross and suffer with Christ now that one day you might be glorified with Christ. I wonder, do I trust Jesus enough? Do you trust Jesus enough to believe that he will sustain you no matter what? No matter what circumstances come tonight, tomorrow, next year? To trust him like Abraham and Isaac did, like Jacob will learn to trust? See, they didn't start out that way. It's okay if you're struggling to trust now because none of these men started out with a perfect record. That's not why God chose them. They learned to crave the blessing of being in God's presence by being in his family. And that was God's doing. See, you can learn to crave the things of God too. That's why we we gather together as family, to learn this together to learn that we are God's children. What does that mean? Well, we have to tell each other. We have to remind each other every day that we are heirs of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are joined to Christ by faith forever. I hope that that is your joy. The joy that can lift your eyes off of yourself and your sometimes empty stomach onto the one whose love will always satisfy and never fade or never disappoint. Not today or ever. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your love never fails. I thank you that even in moments and seasons when we are just struggling with questions and needs, and sickness. Lord, you sustain us. You give us exactly what we need and when we need it. I, I, I pray that you would help us to remember those times when you come to us with a word, with an encouragement, with a, a practical help, with healing, with just truth that is water and medicine to our souls. I pray that we can be the instruments um, of that healing to one another. That as in our life together, in our common life as your people, we might be, we might make the gospel believable. That we might be the means that you sustain, use to sustain someone else. God, we thank you for the table that we're coming to this morning. We ask that these elements, again, would remind us of what you did to bring us into your family, what you are doing to keep us in your family, to sustain us. Lord, as we we take these elements, again, remind us who we are, that we are co-heirs with Christ. We thank you. We thank you for your blessing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another message from City Light South Church. You can find out more about our church and connect with us at citylightsouth.org.au.